into the rain. Try and dodge the raindrops. Thank you, everyone. I don't know. There are blankets at the back. Oh, they're being passed around. No, cups are being taken up. There are blankets at the back. Please do grab if you are chilly. Auckland was lovely and sticky and hot. I really liked it. <laughs> I suggested to Mike that we think about moving. He's not so keen. I also, and my, most of you know that I'm complete chicken about flying. It's sort of a big thing after the earthquakes. It's, became, it's become something quite big in my head, and I am completely ridiculous and need some medication to help me fly. And I also need to hold hands of random strangers next to me on the plane. And I do. I just always introduce myself. Hi, I'm Helen. I'm probably going to hold your hand on this flight. And um, luckily on the way up, that I could manage to organise that I was on the same flight with Peter Christensen, so I held his hand. And, um, and then from um, Wellington to Auckland flight, I held hands with this um, lovely young man who's 29. And if, when then we worked out through the, through the flight that I went to school with his uncle and his father and stuff. So that was quite cool and got to, got to meet him. And um, yeah. And then on the way home, I held Sean's hand. So, <laughs> and it's not just, yeah, it didn't, I didn't break it, but... Yeah, it's not just holding hands, it's like active, engaged conversation while we hold hands and talk. It's quite an intense experience, so if anyone's expecting to sleep on a flight next to me, this isn't happen. <laughs> so, uh, Mike's just glad it wasn't him, I think. <laughs> so um, anyway, I want to read you um, from the story that we're looking at today, from Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. The Lord's Prayer. He, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, may your name be revered as holy. May your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we, forgive, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you anything out of friendship, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give you whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asked for a fish, would give a snake instead of a fish? 
or if a child asked for an egg, would give a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There is something beautiful about praying the Lord's Prayer as we do in church. The murmured words, the rhythm. And for many of us, it is something that we have learnt as we grew up from tiny dots within the church. There is something beautiful about a common prayer that crosses language and tradition boundaries. And I really have appreciated getting to think and read and listen to this prayer, and I'd love to share a few of my thoughts with you about it. Our passage begins with Jesus off praying by himself, showing the, reminding us of the importance of giving time to prayer, of time away, of relationship. And I've been inspired when people have spoken this year of learning and practicing contemplative practices that they have had a sense of a growing relationship and connection with God, which is just wonderful. And I also noticed that when we had our barstool time after Sean spoke a couple of weekends ago about sacred solitude, people shared a wide variety of stories around their experiences and thoughts of taking time alone with God. Some remembered rhythms that they had used, either by choice or from a sense of being, that's what they should do, you have to have your quiet time. Some spoke of taking time with, how taking time with God works for them at the moment. And some very bravely shared about how they didn't have a sense of God's presence with them, of an experience of a reciprocal relationship, no matter what. I've been thinking of that conversation that we had, and um, it, did, it reminded me um, of when Mother Teresa's diaries were published after her death. There was a real anticipation around that, that we would read stories of this amazing, deep faith that was you know, so connected with God that they were hearing from God all the time and that this growing vision and that we had really high expectations that it would build and nurture our faith by reading about her faith. And it did, but not in the way that we were expected. We found out something quite different, that she spoke of not hearing intimately from God, but of experiencing deep doubts and endless silence. And I think that the amazing revelation of the book was that she kept on going, persisting, working out the calling that she had received and living it, often in spite of the experiences that she had connecting and praying with God. And I sometimes wonder if the, a point, one of the points of taking time with sacred solitude for many, and for most of us at some time, might not be this profound experience of closeness with God, but rather using the title of one of Eugene Peterson's books, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A practice and a discipline of taking time, of creating time, of remembering who God is, who we are, and sitting in that space, and following a God of great mystery, every day. The disciples then asked Jesus how to pray. I think in some ways they're asking for a formula, like John gave his disciples. They, they, I'm reminded again of the humanness of the disciples. They're asking for a guarantee, a certainty that if I do A and B, then God will do C and D, 
every time. And that we'll all be quite happy with that. Living in uncertainty is hard and it's scary and we feel really vulnerable. And we have a tiny micro speck of faith maybe and a whole basket full of questions. And I think if I met Jesus and got to hang out with him day to day like the disciples, I'd be asking for those formulas too. It's such a natural human reaction. And I think that Jesus knows this and knows how we are. And so he teaches them a prayer that we can still deeply connect with and learn from today. Jesus often offers his disciples a pattern of prayer that they can adapt and use to remind them of who God is, of who we are. And I don't know if it's meant to be mumbled in the slightly awkward way we do. However, there's something beautiful about that too. And do we say sins or trespasses? Because sins are so much shorter than trespasses and they don't quite fit. And when I hear trespasses anyway, I think of trespasses W and Winnie the Pooh. So let's break the prayer down a little bit, line by line, and have a think about the pattern of prayer that Jesus invites us to practice. Our Father, Abba Father. It's a beautiful, deeply tender way to start our prayer. It undercuts any patriarchal notions of fatherhood because it's not about power, hierarchy, or obedience. Rather, it's about an intimate, mutual closeness that we are invited into. I listened to someone speaking about Amma, or Mother God, as a start to this prayer as well. Jesus uses, and we see throughout Scripture, and we've talked about it this morning, God being described in many different ways. Jesus using images of God like a mother hen gathering her chicks underneath her. More than the exact words we say, I think this beginning describes a relationship, an intimate, mutual, close relationship. Holy is your name, or your name is revered. We are reminded of who we are addressing. As well as our Abba or Amma, God is also more awesome and mysterious than we can even begin to grasp. And our only response is to worship. I think that I experienced a sense of this when I was looking through Marcus's telescope and saw far-off distant galaxies and star clusters. And I was moved by the bigness of God and the smallness of us. And awe and worship can be our only response. May your kingdom come. We are asking God to do God's work, to inaugurate the reign or rule of God. Rome in Jesus' time was a massive imperial power, and Israel was a tiny occupied space. Talking about the reign of God or God's kingdom in this context is politically subversive. We read it today from the position of the powerful. We don't really understand what it's like to be that vulnerable. And we can read it as enforcing our ideas of political power. May God do what I think needs to be done in the way I think needs to be done. And I was wondering if an example of the kind of context in our world today would be maybe the, um, that video clip of when the foreign minister in Tuvalu is asking the world to take the climate crisis seriously because their land is disappearing un- underwater and he's standing in the sea at the level that it used to be 10 years before or something. Or maybe 
how Alistair has shared about how it might feel to be in Gaza at the moment, surrounded by the Israeli army. In Jesus' time, it was standing against the power and empire of the day and subverting it with the rule and reign of love and care between people, with creation and with their God. That is why some people use the word kingdom instead of kingdom, a whānau expression of working and living together. God's will is done when people cooperate with God's desire for justice, freedom, peace, wholeness and love in the world. When we live out and share this experience of love that we have from God. Give us each day our daily bread as a plea to God to both provide for us and for everyone in the world. We know that there are enough resources in the world for everyone, but we need to have a lot less so that others can have what they even need. This prayer doesn't deny that some people don't get their daily bread, but invites us to live in a way that we don't hoard what we have. But we work towards a world where everyone can have their daily bread. Asking for forgiveness. We can acknowledge that our shadow sides get in the way and we make selfish choices that hurt each other, that hurt our communities and our world. We can ask for God's forgiveness because we know that the God that we are praying to removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. As it says in Psalm 139, and that we are called beloved. We're invited to forgive others. Maybe one of the most difficult things to do. We can experience it as a way to be free from others' hurt and rubbish. But I think this is is really important to remember that this is not something that we can demand from another person. And in fact, that is abusive. Forgiving those who hurt us is a person's own work. And we can't demand that they do it. We can't demand they forget. Remembering may be very important for their protection. The church has been terrible at using this verse and this concept of forgiving and forgetting to traumatise those who have been hurt over and over again. And we need to reframe how we think and talk about this. I think we also maybe need to ask for forgiveness sometimes for the systems of injustice that we benefit from and that perpetuate because it works so well for us. One way we can see this systemic injustice is if we look at the health outcomes for our Māori and Pacifica sisters and brothers compared to our Pākehā health outcomes. And maybe a way of reading this prayer could be an invitation to work in injustice systems to change them. And I know many of you already do work in these spaces. The last line in Luke's version says, Save us from the time of trial. We are beset at every turn from things that can lead us away from God's way. And this prayer might be an invitation to live in God's love and freedom. When we repeat our mumbled Lord's Prayer, we say, deliver us from evil. Nicholas Slee writes about this and wonders if this is written as a desire for people to take up a non-violent rejection of the power of the Roman Empire. That fighting evil with evil only leads to more evil. But the way to stop evil, to get through a time of trial, is to resist it non-violently.
In Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, there is no kingdom or power or glory ending. This might be because of who the gospel was written for. Matthew was writing to Jewish readers, and maybe these lines are a kind of formula finish that Jewish people would have expected and maybe prayed in other prayers. A couple of years ago, I think, I had a conversation with Jeff at the IBY, IBI end of year barbecue, wasn't it? And we were just chatting. And he, he spoke about something that I think um, that I have thought of a lot since then. And he wondered if saying those words at the end, the kingdom, the power, and the glory, uh, may be a little out of step with the rest of the prayer. The God we see in Jesus is the God who steps away from power and becomes the servant. Maybe our focus when we say the Lord's Prayer, however unthinkingly, is grasping, is reinforcing our grasps at power. I wonder if when we pray this with others, it is part of. Oh, I don't know how to say. I think that when we pray this, sorry, it's um, maybe part of our tradition and, and it is there in the Gospel of Matthew. But I wonder if not saying it like it does in Luke reminds us that God is not coming for dominion. God already is everything. However, God invites us to participate in the work of the kingdom coming on earth, not for power, but for the love of the whole world. And then we read a few verses where Jesus talks more on the subject of prayer with his disciples. The story of the person waking up their friend in the middle of the night to borrow some bread seems and reads like an invitation to persistence in prayer to keep talking to God, to keep saying and asking and praying and holding your life and your thoughts and your heart before God. Keep coming back. Keep talking. The outcomes of this part is where I fight a bit. Does God end up unwillingly giving us what we ask just because we keep pestering God? I find this kind of hard to read. And I do... Flicks me back into memories of years and years ago when we were trying to have babies for about, you know, five years or whatever before we had our wee one, William, and how fraught it was trying to figure out what to say to God and what to understand of God when stuff wasn't, when it wasn't happening. And, and people's, you know, helpful advice about if you just stop thinking about it, it will happen, but crying out in agony to God, going, how do I forget the, and put aside and pretend that the deepest desires of my heart aren't the deepest desires of my heart? And the God who only gives you want what you want after you stop wanting is a pretty awful God. And I would suggest a false God. And I don't want to read this passage that way. So at the moment, I read this story as an invitation to keep talking to God about the things that are going on for us, about our needs and desires, about the places where our hearts are breaking, and about our fears and worries for the world we live in, about the questions we have and the pain we see in the world. I'm going to leave the outcomes in the mystery of God, and I'm going to do what I can to be part of the answer to those prayers. The last part of this passage speaks of the relationship we have with God. 
And as I've said, there's great mystery in how God works and doesn't work in the world. However, these verses that God is like a loving parent who loves to listen to their children and wants the best for them. A God who grieves as the most loving parent does when their children are hurting. We don't understand this picture. We don't understand this whole picture. But we do know that the mystery of God is that somehow God sent God's Son to live among us to redeem this world through giving his life, through conquering death, and that one day, somehow, God will make all things new. And maybe that's the invitation for us. Nicholas Lee again suggests that instead of praying by repeating those words over and over, although this is a really important practice that we can do, we can improvise this prayer, reimagining it for the context we find ourselves in. Instead of the words being a form that's mumbled away, maybe they can take root and grow in fresh ways in us, and we can continue to live our lives as followers of Jesus in our community, in our city, in our world, in our time. I wonder if this week we can sit with these words that are so familiar and try going off script a little bit to improvise what words we would use for our life and our context in the world we find ourselves in. We might say, God, our loving parent, who sees every single life as beloved, you are bigger than the distance to the farthest star in our sky. In fact, you hold this universe in the palm of your hand. And you see and know each microbe and bacteria in our soil. Our world needs your way of love and peace desperately in this moment. Let it happen in small ways and big ways, for individual people and circumstances, for whole communities and nations, for this whole world. And please help me to play my part. We have so much to be grateful for here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, but we are aware that some people don't have enough. Let our care for people and our planet be bigger than our care to hold on to what we have. Forgive us when we break relationship with people, with the planet and with you. Help us do the journey of forgiveness that leads to freedom from those who hurt us. Walk with us tenderly, dear God. We want to walk in the way of Jesus, in the way of love. When we see situations and structures that are not in the way of love, help us to stand up and say something, to work to reimagine a new way that better reflects your love for all people and for the whole world. Amen.